verses 9 to the end. But we're really going to be focusing on chapter 15 today. So let's read about the crucifixion because that's our, our subject. Mark 15 verse 13, crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. They shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Barabbas was a freedom fighter for the Jewish people, and he was locked up in jail, and he was released as a, as a, um, as a sign of, of goodness. Pilate had Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they'd mocked him and took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him, they led him out to crucify him. Then jump to verse 27. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, laba sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those heard this and said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry, and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Let's pray together. Lord, as we have read the account of your crucifixion, we see, Lord, how cruelly you were treated and what a terrible death you died. And as we consider these matters now, we pray that you would speak to us, that you'd open the eyes of our hearts to, to really see what's going on here and to understand what the crucifixion of Jesus was all about. So be with us now, Lord. 
and guide me as I speak and as we listen. All God's people said, Amen. There are just four things that I want to share with you today about the crucifixion. And here's the first one. The crucifixion of Jesus was planned by God. I've found that it's necessary to actually say this. Because there are those today that think Jesus' crucifixion was some tragic accident. Every now and again, I come across a Facebook post or an article where the idea is that, oh, Jesus, he was the victim of Roman oppression. Some believe that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus because he was trying to hasten a confrontation of Jesus with the Romans in the hope that Jesus would get himself backed into a corner and then be forced to use his powers to bring deliverance, and that it all kind of went wrong and Jesus landed up dead. And that's when Judas went out and hanged himself. There are also many today who reject the idea of substitutionary atonement. Do you know that? This, this famous Christian doctrine that Jesus died in our place some, some authors are referring to this as some kind of divine child abuse that God would punish Jesus for someone else's sins. And they reject this idea of substitutionary atonement. Others say that Jesus here in his death is, is teaching us about the power of pacifism. Kind of Jesus just non-violent, allowing himself to be crucified to somehow demonstrate how we should act and behave under pressure. There are many theories about Jesus and his death. But it wasn't a mistake. Look at what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and this is profound stuff. On the day of Pentecost... When the church began, Peter stands up and he says, talks about Jesus. In verse 23 of Acts 2, he says, This man was handed over to you, Jews and Jewish leaders and Romans. He was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. You see that there? That's the emphasis in Peter's sermon. He's telling us Jesus' death was planned. Yes, people banged the nails into his hands and his feet. People conducted a sham trial and sentenced him to death. But it all happened with God's foreknowledge and according to God's set purpose. Jesus died on the cross primarily because God wanted him to. Yes, there were other factors involved, but that was the reason why it happened. Do you remember early on in the gospel, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus? And before he tells him that he must be born again, he says, you know that Old Testament story of Numbers, the people are in the desert and a snake is put on a stake. 
Just as Moses is lifted up, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So here's Jesus early on in the Gospels, fully aware that he's going to be crucified. That's the, the imagery here. He's going to be lifted up and put on a stake like that snake. Jesus also said in his ministry, John chapter 10, I'm, I'm a good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. The death of Jesus wasn't some accident. It was, it was planned by God. And it was carried out by Jesus. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down, says Jesus. When Jesus is at his trial and he's being falsely accused of all kinds of things, Pilate says to him, don't you, don't you know that I have power over you and I'm going, I control your destiny, Jesus, so why aren't you cooperating with me? And Jesus replied to Pilate, you'd have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. Here's Jesus acknowledging that even Pilate's actions, he's only doing what he's doing because God is allowing him to do that. But Revelation 13 is the clincher. There, there is this throwaway line about the death of Jesus. And his death is referred to as being the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. In other words, in the mind of God, the, the slaying of Jesus as a sacrificial lamb was a done deal. It was always going to happen. From before the world was created, this was God's set purpose. Here's some more evidence that the death of Jesus was planned. Psalm 22 is part of David's collection. You know there, there are different collections of Psalms in the book of Psalms. It's not just one book, it's actually five books. Uh, kind of this edition of our songs, next edition, greatest hits, that kind of thing. One of David's psalms is Psalm 22, and it, begin, and it was written centuries before Jesus came to this world. And Psalm 22 begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the psalmist, possibly David, although not all of David's psalms were written by David, he was kind of the publisher of the collection, so it's David's psalms although maybe he did write all of them. But the writer of Psalm 22 is obviously facing a terrible crisis in his life, and he writes this song, this lament, this prayer, but the Spirit is so at work in him that at the same time he speaks about the crucifixion of Jesus. It's very evident from what we'll read. He says in verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults. They shake their heads. And in the Gospels, we know that people mock Jesus all 
there was a lot of head shaking. People said, verse 8, he trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him. And we read that. Oh, well, if he's the son of God, you know, God's going to come and rescue him. People were mocking Jesus. Back to Psalm 22, verse, verse 14. All my bones are out of joint. Why would a person write, all my bones are out of joint? Does that come old-fashioned way of talking about arthritis? No, he's referring to something on the cross. You would hang there until your shoulders dislocated. That's what happened to you when you were crucified. And here's this reference, perhaps written a thousand years before Jesus came. All my bones are, are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax. Verse 15, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's why Jesus cries out, I'm thirsty. And people offer him wine vinegar on a stick. Verse 16 of Psalm 22 says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. It's a reference to the crucifixion. They've pierced my hands and my feet. My bones are out of joint. Psalm 22. People stare and gloat over me. Verse 18. They divide my garments, garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And we know that happened to Jesus. And this is, a, this is not a Christian psalm. This is a Jewish psalm that dates back and can be proven hundreds of years before the death of Jesus. But it speaks so clearly about his death. It's because the crucifixion of Jesus was planned. It was in the heart of God from before he created this world. He knew it. And planned it. The second point of my sermon is this the crucifixion of Jesus was a punishment. It was a punishment by God. And this is something that we don't seem to talk enough about in church. Some of you might even find this quite a jarring statement. We prefer just to think about how loving God is. But we can't lose sight of the fact that Jesus really suffered on the cross. I can remember as a younger person thinking about why it was necessary for Jesus to die such a terrible death. I mean, if his life had to be taken for our salvation, why couldn't it be a quick and painless death? Because... You get quick and painless deaths. A lot of people die and they don't even know they're dying. I mean, they just go from life to death. A bullet in the back of the head. A beheading. You don't even see it coming. Well, the bullet. But we misunderstand the death of Jesus if we think God's profound sense of justice could have been satisfied with a quick death of Jesus, a painless death, an unexpected death. Jesus' death was as painful as it was 
because it was a punishment. In order for us to be saved, Jesus didn't just need to die. That could have been arranged in a hundred different ways. It was necessary that he be punished. And not by Satan, not by human beings, but by God the Father. And we need look no further than the great prophet Isaiah, who in the well-known chapter 53 tells us that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That means all the evil wrapped up in our hearts. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We mustn't lose sight of the fact that Jesus' death was was a punishment. A punishment. Isaiah goes on to say in verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Now there are some Christians today that seem unable to use the word it was the Lord's will to cause and to suffer in one sentence. But sometimes God does cause suffering in our lives to shape us and to hone us. But here is a, the ultimate example of the Lord causing suffering as he punished Jesus. And you may ask the question, well, why is God punishing Jesus? Here's the answer, 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him, when our lives are wrapped up in Jesus and united with His, we become the righteousness of God. There's a, there's a transaction going on here. God made Him, Jesus, who, was, who, who led a sin, sinless life. God made Him who had no sin, to be sin for us. And that's why God punished Jesus. Jesus' death wasn't just an example of great love or of a good man standing up to tyranny. He was punished because we deserved to be punished. He suffered and died in our place. And one of the reasons why we might struggle to process this is because we underestimate the righteousness of God. We underestimate just how holy God is. Brings me to our third point. The crucifixion of Jesus was necessary. It was necessary. Again, some have asked, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just forgive us our sins if He wanted to? I mean, when we sin against each other, and we're bound to do that from time to time, we forgive each other without some terrible sacrifice having to be made. So if we can forgive each other when we're sinned against, why can't God do that? 
In Islam, it is believed that Allah can simply forgive people's sins if He wants to. So why was the crucifixion of Jesus necessary? Why couldn't God just sweep our sins under the carpet? Shift the goalposts. Lower His standards. And the reason is because God is a a righteous and holy being. These are not add-ons to God where God's, oh, what virtues shall I uh, pick out for myself and my persona? No, righteousness and holiness, it's, it's, it's central to who God is. We read that His eyes are too pure to look on evil. You, Lord, cannot tolerate Wrong. That's Habakkuk 1.13. Psalm 89 tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's throne. When Isaiah encounters God in a vision, the angels are not crying out, God is love, 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 love. They're crying out, holy, 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 which means two things in Hebrew, only really one in English. In Hebrew, holy means you are completely different in a category all of your own. And the other meaning of holy is you are righteous and pure. And God is righteous and pure and holy. And Jesus was crucified because it was the only way that God could remain true to himself and not compromise his integrity or his character because God is too pure to overlook sin. His infinitely valuable life was given in exchange for our miserable lives. And one person could die for many because his life is worth a whole lot more than ours. This was the transaction that took place on the cross. That's why it was planned. That's why Jesus was punished. He was punished so we don't have to be. He was punished in our place. His life was exchanged for ours. And by doing that, God could remain true to himself and not compromise his character and his moral responsibility. We call this penal substitutionary atonement. His death is is penal substitutionary atonement because it was about punishment. It's penal. It's substitutionary. He was punished in our place. And it's atonement because his life was given as as an offering to bring two alienated parties together. This is what Paul writes in Romans. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. He did this to demonstrate his justice. 
If God hadn't punished sin, it would have been, there would have been something wrong there. He did this to, to demonstrate His justice. Because in His forbearance and patience, He left the sins committed before and unpunished. That's the saints of the Old Testament. But God knew Christ was going to die. This is good, verse 26. He did it to demonstrate His justice. To demonstrate His righteousness. At the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So to recap, the crucifixion of Jesus was planned by God. It is necessary. It was a punishment. That's why the suffering was so prolonged and terrible. And my fourth point today is this, that the crucifixion of Jesus was also a demonstration of God's love. And the verse I have for that is Romans chapter 5, where Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The point is made here that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. He died for the ungodly. And in so doing, God demonstrated His love for us without compromising His character and who He is. In summary then, the crucifixion of Jesus is the key event pertaining to humanity's relationship with God. Everything in the Old Testament looked forward to the crucifixion of Jesus, and all of us now look back to it. Secondly, the crucifixion teaches us about the nature and character of God. It reminds us just how holy God is, that righteousness matters to God. It's not something he could just overlook. The death of Jesus was a necessity, and the crucifixion of Jesus was a punishment. And it was a demonstration of God's love for us. Pray with me. Lord, we cannot imagine the pain and suffering that you went through on the cross. 
It's where we get our word excruciatingly painful. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer, says Isaiah. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all, the punishment we deserved, fell upon him. This is substitutionary atonement. And this morning we want to thank you, Lord, that while we were disinterested in you, while we were living in an ungodly way, oblivious to you, that you demonstrated your love and at the right time died for us. And Lord, we don't want to be ungrateful for what you've done. We recognize the great price you paid, Lord, when you suffered and died on the cross. Thank you that you suffered and died so that we don't have to. And friends, it's not just enough to, to even believe these things in your head. We need to respond to what we've heard. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, after he said this Jesus was handed over and crucified according to God's set purpose and foreknowledge, he explained the gospel and then people said to him, well, what must we do? Because they were cut to the heart. And Peter's reply was, Repent of your sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Be baptized. Identify yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Perhaps there's some of you here today who've never crossed the line, who've never personalized your faith. You know the whole Christian story and you've heard me tell it again as to why Jesus died on the cross. But it's not good enough just to know this stuff. You need to respond to God. And you need to repent, which means that if there are things in your life that you know are displeasing to God, you need to stop doing them. You need to repent. You need to believe. That means if you begin to waver in your faith, you need to say, no, I, I, I choose to believe this. Even though I don't have proof, I'm, I'm going to have faith. Peter said, be baptized. By that he meant go public with your commitment to Jesus. It's not just a secret thing between you and God. Baptism, getting dunked in water, was a symbol of identifying with the death of Jesus. 
And then Peter gives the assurance, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And it means opening up your heart to the Lord for Him to empower you and change your heart so that starting to live for God becomes natural to you. He takes out that old heart that's spiritually dead and He replaces it with a new heart. That's what it means to be born again of the Spirit. So take a moment to make your peace with God if you've not yet done that. But understand that Jesus died for you. Thank you, Lord. Elnery, let's sing a closing song and then we'll end our service. Thanks. Thank you.